Good evening again, and I uh, want to welcome you again to the eighth large group of the semester for RUF. Uh, let me make sure. Can you all all see if I'm right here? You good? Okay, great. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm the campus minister for RUF. You don't know me. Uh, this semester, we've been working our way through a series on relationships of all kinds. Uh, so far, we've tackled friendship and the church and our employers. Last week, we started wading in on the romantic end of things, uh, romantic end of the relationship spectrum. We looked at 1 Corinthians 6 and learned that God cares about our sexuality, uh, along with everything else we do in our bodies, because he's committed to the human body. And tonight, uh, we're talking about singleness in those bodies. Um, But before I do, I want to reiterate something that we covered last week that this is principally a family discussion. Like when we talk about the ethics of the Bible, what we're talking about is a a discussion for the family of God. As I said, God is indeed committed to the body, but Jesus is united to only those who are committed to him. As uh, Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 6 last week, when we place, place our faith in Jesus, we are not our own. If you haven't done that, if you're here tonight and you haven't done any of those things, I want you to hear this discussion tonight, not from someone who is like pressuring you to change or thinks you need to shape up or any of those things. Uh, You are not pressured to obey what God calls people to do in their bodies Uh, because that would be like going over to a friend's house and having their parents tell you that they would like you to uh, sit in your chair upside down and sing the ABCs, right? It would be a weird request. You probably wouldn't do it. Unless, of course, you loved them very much and you trusted them. And then you might do something that strange. We want you to do that in a sense. We want you to sit upside down and sing the ABCs. But in the sense of like our culture is going to tell you a way to live. And the Bible is going to tell you a different way to live. And if you really love and trust God, then we're going to invite you to love and trust him. Right? That's really what we want you to do. And so... uh, Listen tonight and listen in on a family discussion. That's what I'm inviting you to do. Uh, Not necessarily to change all at once, but uh, to maybe just see that God loves you and has good plans for even our sexuality. Now, with all that said, it might seem odd uh, to include a sermon on singleness in a series on relationships. After all, if many of us were to describe what it means to be single, we'd probably describe it as a lack of relationship, right? That you don't have anybody. I made a joke earlier that it's like depressing and you're all alone. I saw a TikTok this week of a guy who's taking a, did you say, oh no? Sorry, I thought you said like, oh no. I saw a TikTok this week of a guy who's taking a photo of, or he's like taking a video of these people and they're like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. And they're just like all over each other. And he just stands and like afterwards, he's just standing there next to them. And they're like, I'm so glad we're not like this loser, right? Uh, that's how like we tend to think about marriage is that, uh, you know, we think about that as the end goal. And so we think about like this portion of your life, the singleness as like a waiting game. And we wait to think critically about our relationship status until we're in one. Until we achieve the category of dating or married or, you know, uh, the classic, it's complicated, right? Singleness, we assume, is not complicated. It's the default position. It's the, it's the go square on the monopoly board of life. Um, in fact, uh, in our discussion questions, you'll see that the, like, you, you'll know what the fifth hit is, but I Googled ahead of this 
talk. I Googled uh, how to find a boyfriend uh, online. And the top four hits, I'll just say this, the top four hits did not mention being single as a prerequisite to finding a boyfriend, right? The reason it doesn't say that, although it's assumed, right, is because it's assumed. It's the default position. Nobody gives any thought to what it means to be single. And uh, you'll see in a moment, the fifth hit was all about like being single so that you can find a boyfriend. So not, not a very good, well thought out understanding of what singleness is. And that's why Paul needs to tell the Corinthian church, as well as us, uh, you know, the Corinthian church is the, who the audience of the original letter that we read tonight. He needs to tell them what it means to be single in the eyes of God. And that's really going to be our questions for tonight. We're going to have two questions that we're going to answer. And the first one is, what is singleness? And the second question is, what's it for? What is singleness and what is singleness for? We've already read our passage, so I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to jump in. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, uh, I just pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts uh, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, a rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive into our first question to start, right? What is singleness? Well, y'all look with me at verses seven through eight. Let's start with verses seven through eight. In verse seven, Paul expresses his desire that the Corinthians, they be as he is which we find out from verse 8, is at the very least not currently married, right? The English translation supplies the word single after the word remain in verse 8. But I'll tell you this, it's not there in the original Greek. It actually just reads, uh, it was good for them to remain as I am. Uh, They supply that word single. So the question we actually should ask ourselves is, how is Paul? What, What are they to remain in? Uh, you know, Paul simply wishes the unmarried and the widows to remain as he is. And we're not told explicitly whether or not Paul was married. Is he a, is he a widower now? Or is he just never been married? Uh, how is Paul? Well, toward the theory, like there's kind of ideas on both sides. Toward the theory of Paul as a widower, uh, we know that before Paul's conversion, he was a Pharisee and it was actually very common, almost ubiquitous for Pharisees to have wives. So it would have been likely that Paul had a wife. Uh, The other thing that uh, goes in favor of Paul having had a wife is that he addresses widows and tells them to remain as he is, right? Uh, How is a widow remain as he is if he is himself not widowed, right? Even the word unmarried could be translated as widowers, right? It kind of seems like he repeats himself in verse eight to the unmarried and the widows. Aren't those both people who are not married? Uh, The reason that is, is because one, uh, there's no Greek term for the word widower, which is like, I don't know if you guys know what a widower, it's like a dude whose wife dies. Uh, uh, There's no Greek term for the word widower uh, in use in Paul's day. And then secondly, throughout chapter seven, uh, each time Paul addresses one gender, he immediately addresses the opposite gender in the next sentence. And he does that 12 times in total throughout this passage. This would be the only time that he does, he addresses like one gender and then doesn't say something similar for the opposite gender. Um, which for the record, this is just like a little nugget for you, is radical thinking for the first century to address men and women as having equal rights in the bedroom is just completely unheard of in the first century. So 
I'm not going to get into that now, uh, but just worth saying uh, that's pretty unique. Right, so that's in favor of Paul saying that we all need to remain widows. If you're a widow, then you need to remain a widow. But it's also that Paul, uh, it's also possible that Paul's a virgin, that he had never been married. Uh, if we overly press Paul's conception of his singlehood and his advice in verse 8, right, that widows remain as he is, then Paul also wishes everyone's spouse would die in verse 7, right? Because he says, I wish you. Uh, all were as I myself am. So if he has too narrow of a view of like what singleness is, he actually wishes everybody's spouse would die. Uh, probably not what he means there. So instead, uh, it seems that Paul's probably just advocating for singleness in like a broad commitment, right? Whether you're, uh, you know, widowed or not widowed, uh, that he calls everyone to singleness. And this becomes more obvious as Paul talks about the betrothed in verses 25 and 28, uh, if you'll look there for a second, uh, those both both times that word is used, betrothed, in verses 25 and 28, that actually could be literally translated as virgins. Uh, that's that's what the word actually means. And the core of his advice in verse 26 for the betrothed for virgins remains the same as it was in verses seven through eight. Remain as you are, right? However, you got to be single. That's the condition you ought to remain in, says Paul. In fact. Paul goes so far as to say in verse 38 uh, to people who are engaged, so then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Uh, Though it is not a sin to marry, Paul is very clear about something. It would be better to be single than to be married. Even marrying someone you're already engaged to is not as good as being single. Uh, It'd be better to break it off. Uh, or just continue being engaged, as Paul puts it. Now, I understand. Here's the thing. So I just said, like, Paul says it's better to be single than to be married. And if you paid any attention as we read through this, you're probably already thinking, but what about verse 9? Right? He says the thing about the marriage, though. You're skipping over the marriage part. Let me address the marriage part for a second. Okay? Uh, he says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Right? Well, so it's better unless you burn with passion, then it's not, right, is what you might be tempted to say. Uh, God is, uh, you know, this does, I will give you this. This, is, this does mean that singleness is not for everybody, right? That there is at least some people out there, there are at least some who cannot exercise self-control and that that's not a sin as long as they marry. Uh, if one insists upon fulfilling a sexual desire, then they're, must be, what the Bible says, a spiritual commitment to go along with the physical commitment that you act out in sex, right? Uh, Becoming one flesh with another person when you see them naked and unashamed. The Bible says, uh, you know, like a, this was used at Christ Church too, so if you were there on Sunday, he stole my thunder. But it's like a fireplace, right? If a fire is in a fireplace, it's great. It's actually amazing, but if you take a fire out of a fireplace, now you've got a burnt house, right? So there's a problem with, with removing the context that it's supposed to be in. And we would say uh, that's what happens when we pursue, you know, the benefits of marriage uh, without the commitment of marriage, uh, that we hurt one another. Um, now, I will say this, right? So he's saying, if it, you know, that has a proper place. And if you absolutely cannot, you know, have self-control, 
then the only place you should go is in the mirrors. That's where uh, you can fulfill your sexual desires. Uh, here's the thing, though. In our current cultural climate, everyone wants to jump to verse 9. You know, yeah, 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 singleness, right, 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 right. I could be called the singleness. But I actually have sexual desires, so that's not me. Can't be me. Can't, it must not apply to me. Uh, even the commentaries that I read in preparing for tonight, they all seem to want to rescue Paul from himself. They were like, yeah, I mean, I know that he says that, it, that it's better to, or that, you know, he does well if he doesn't marry. Uh, but, you know, Paul doesn't really mean that. What he means is that, you know, if you have any sort of sexual desire, then this is all not really relevant to you. And it's not better for you to be single because you should be getting married. And I would just say that that really short circuits Paul's reasoning, right? That seven and eight exists for a reason. Uh, that singleness does not only apply to those who have basically no sexual desire. Uh, I think actually like our move to want to move to verse nine too early uh, is actually like betrays the fact that we don't really value singleness even though Paul starts his argument with saying how good singleness is. I mean, look again at verses 7 and 8, right? Paul calls singleness good. And in verse 8, it is implied that it is a gift. And he does not say that it is a good gift for some, right? We just talked about this. It, it is, according to verse 7, good for all. All. Ta uh, pantan, Greek for all. No exclusions. There's a concession made, right, that if that it would be better and it is good for everybody, everybody. But if you can't, then you fall into a different category if you can get married, right? The truth is that uh, we can't move to verse nine before we hear God out in verses seven through eight. So that's really what I want to put in front of you is that uh, the first answer to our question, like what is singleness? It's a good gift. It's a good gift. Better than marriage even. Uh, if we take verse 38 uh, at its word. Um, now, I know the married guy is talking to all the unmarried people about how marriage isn't that great. I'll get to that in a second, okay? I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but I, I, first, I just want to say this. Like, can you take God at his word? Like, do you actually believe that? Because if you don't, then you disagree with God, is what I would say. Um, that, that God actually thinks of singleness as a good gift. And I can't help but think that most of us, especially in Christian circles, but even on non-Christian circles, uh, we tend, sorry to make two TikTok references in the same sermon, but we tend to think of singleness as that like sound about uh, like the Pokemon or whatever. And it's like, uh, the, the sound goes like, name that Pokemon. And then it's like, uh, the guy goes, Pikachu! And then it's not Pikachu. It's like, Clefairy! He's like, and he yells an F-bomb. I don't know if you've seen this before. Anyways, I got a nod from Brandon. So it's, I, this is, I'm not on like a little small area of TikTok. I know this is a thing. This is a trend at one point, right? Uh, we feel like we're like hoping that it's Pikachu and it turns out to be Clefairy, right? We're like, oh man, I hope that God is going to make me not single. I definitely don't want to be single. And then if we get this gift, we treat it like it's the worst thing that could happen to us. Right? Uh, that if God leaves me as this single person, this would be the worst thing that could happen to me. Um, there's this scene in uh, my favorite TV show of all time, Boy Meets World. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's on Disney+. Plus. would highly recommend. Uh, there's this scene where when Corey, the main character, gets... 
uh, he become, he's turning 13, his dad gives him a necklace with two silver mittens on it. And you can imagine, like, as a 13-year-old boy, he's kind of like, gee, thanks, Dad, for the mittens necklace. Uh, sure do love this charm, you know? Like, he's kind of, like, not into it. And he just, like, runs off to school, and his dad's really disappointed. He was, like, beaming with pride to give it to him, and then he's really disappointed. And so Corey goes off to school, and he ends up losing the necklace in a pool and, like, is really embarrassed of it, doesn't really want to wear it, and, yeah, just completely misplaces it. And, uh, yeah, that's how underwhelmed he is with the mittens. But he finds out later that the mittens are actually uh, silver gloves. Do you know that is? They are uh, one for the second best fighter in the U.S. Navy. If you are, like, they box for these, this prize of these silver mittens. And it's a great honor to have actually earned <laughs> these silver mittens. I mean, only a handful of people have ever done it. And... Uh, it's a high honor, and he's lost them, right? Because it wasn't that great of a present. Why is it not that great? Because he doesn't know what they're for, right? He doesn't really appreciate why his dad's giving them to him, and he doesn't really appreciate the gift itself because he doesn't know what it's for, what it represents, what it's supposed to do. I would say that we do the same thing with this gift, right? That Paul comes right out and says it, and instead we want to move around it. We want to think like, yeah, but... Yeah, I guess I got to be here for a while. That's fine. But as soon as I can get out of here and not have this gift, I'm excited to get the real gift, like a PlayStation. You know, like, thank you for the mittens. Can I get something fun? Right? And what I want to tell you is that this is the good thing. Like, you're already in the good thing. And we think the problem is that we predominantly think of it as missing out. We think of it as denying something vital about ourselves. Uh, to lack even an identity if we are not uh, exercising our sexuality uh, in, you know, a relationship. And I would say that the problem is that we have no sanctified sense of imagination, right, of, for what singleness can be. We don't dream up what we can do with our time. We, we don't take advantage of that. We assume that God would never plan for anybody to abstain from sex. That, that can't possibly be a good plan. And we just ignore him as being cruel or clueless and we live our lives how we want our culture and i think even us sometimes uh the truth is as christians we have no room for a fulfilled life without sex we know jesus did it we have some idea that paul did it we're like those guys were just crazy like they were the exceptions to the rule jesus was god that's how he did it like i could never and so the best we can do is to console ourselves about singleness uh, and we do it like by really imperfect ways. We say that uh, singleness is great. You know, we like try and cast it off in the best light. We say singleness, oh, it's a, it's a hot girl summer. Y'all know what I mean? Like y'all heard that phrase, right? It's a hot girl summer. Uh, I don't need no man. You know, we celebrate women and, they, and men who make promises to one another that they don't intend to keep. And they just tell, and then all summer long, you don't have any commitments because it's a hot girl summer. And you're proud of yourself. And we celebrate that. And uh, I'll just say this. It's not a coincidence that the only way that we can celebrate singleness is by celebrating its sexuality. Right? Think about that. The only way that our culture knows how to celebrate singleness is to actually celebrate what's sexual about it, not to celebrate the thing itself. It has no answer for what singleness can be apart from being sexual about, uh, uh, unless celebrating what, what isn't actually endemic to singleness about it. Admittedly, I'll say this too about Hot Girl Summer. While I'm dunking on it, I want to say this. 
uh, like Hot Girl Summer is also a rise of like what tends to happen with regard to singleness is when women uh, have traditionally like Scarlet Letter, the whole thing, like when women traditionally have uh, been promiscuous, men are the men are celebrated and women are scorned. And, you know, the rise of women being proud of their bodies is not a bad thing. Uh, and the rise of women not being the only sex that gets dunked on for, like, not adhering to the biblical sexual ethic, I think makes sense. But I'll just say that that's not uh, – people are waking up to the reality that, like, reacting to misogyny by demeaning yourself is actually not helping. Uh you know, this is, uh, this is a quote from Casey Musgraves. She's a Grammy award-winning artist. Uh, so take it up with uh, the Academy if you don't like this song. But uh, the song is called Hookup Scene. It's from her latest album. She says this about, like, her waking up to the reality that, like, maybe Hot Girl Summer's not so hot. <laughs> says this, this hookup scene ain't all that it's made out to be. You get your fill and leave empty, more lonely than before. And you lay beside somebody you know isn't right. I make believe it's love. Then I start looking for the door. Like this isn't like, I, I, it may seem like I'm saying controversial things, but I would say like deep down, like if we're being honest, everybody in our culture knows this thing isn't actually what it's all cracked up to be. And is that the best we can do for singleness? A hookup scene where you, you know, get your fill and leave empty? Uh, I'll just say this. We, we wouldn't walk that way if we had a better option. If we knew what singleness is for, if we had, if we had an idea of what these silver gloves meant, we wouldn't uh, think about our singleness that way. We, in fact, would know what we were created for. Look at me at verses 29 through 35. What, what is singleness for? What does it do? Verses 29 through 35. This is the heart of Paul's argument. It's why he holds the position he does about singleness, right? And thus it reveals uh, what our singleness is ultimately for. In verse 29, look with me there, Paul remarks that the time is short. And in verse 31, he declares that the present form of this world is passing away. Now, these are clear references to the second coming of Christ, right? Uh, At the end of our present age, Jesus promises that after his resurrection and his ascension, he's currently in heaven, embodied there in a physical body like ours, uh, just renewed. And uh, he's going to come back at the end of all things, he tells us in Matthew 24 and John 14, and he's going to put the world to rights. Because this is coming, a new age where we are with God face to face in a world made all new, this leads Paul to, to the belief that getting overly invested uh, in the things of this world is unwise and that that includes marriage. Now, one way to read that is that Paul was mistaken about the timing of Christ's return, that he was mistaken. He thought, oh man, uh, it's, it, the time is short and uh, it's going to come back any day, someday soon, really soon. And uh, therefore, like why bother is how he puts it. Why bother? For the record, I don't think that's what Paul says. He doesn't say, why bother? He actually tells you that because the time is short uh, and your interests are divided. It's not that it's a waste of time, but it's that uh, it divides your time. Uh, But that's one way to read it. 
But I would say that that's actually misreading Paul, and it's actually to misread the rest of the New Testament authors and how they talk about this thing too. In verse 29, when he says that the time is short, uh, I would say that he's right to do so in the biblical sense that we are living in a shortened time, living in the end times. Uh, This is why John, Jesus' friend, his disciple, a fellow apostle to Paul in 1 John 2, he tells his readers that they are living in the last hour. Right? Same idea, right? The time is short, living in the last hour. Jesus says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Is everyone uh, mistaken? Is Jesus like, like, did Jesus tell them all he was going to come back and then he didn't? Is he not coming back at all? I would say this, uh, the age that, that Paul is talking about, the age that John's talking about, it has an expiration date. The time is short because this age will end. At some point, it's going to end. It's not going to go on forever unlike the one to come. In that sense, in light of the age to come, like this one, the one we're living in right now, between where Jesus has assumed the throne in heaven, but has not come back to put everything right, this is a short period of time compared to eternity. Right? So as Paul points out in verses 32 through 35, he'd have us focus on that one to come, right? To avoid unnecessary anxieties. But the only way that works is if that age to come is worth focusing on, right? If it's only going to work, like when he says, oh, don't worry about all, don't sweat this small stuff here because the age to come is what really matters, right? That only matters if it does really matter, right? The world that is passing away seems pretty good to most of us right now, right? We live our lives attempting and sometimes succeeding to get the right grades, to get the right boy or girl to notice us. Like that's what we're talking about tonight, right? Meeting the right people, even fighting for what's right. Um, Trying to get attention and approval, maybe from that special someone, as I said, right? I'll say this, that like uh, Paul is saying that ultimately for everyone, that those things don't measure up to what's coming. That like all the things that we can chase after in this life all the things that are in front of us that are horizontal in our lives, including even a spouse, actually detract us from the, from the truth. Like having a singular focus on what the best thing in life can be. And that is God, right? Uh, and the truth is that like you think, uh, I'm, listen, I was, I was you once. And so I know how you think. You think like this. Nick, you don't understand. Once I find somebody who really loves me, then I won't have to be all anxious about like them anymore. Like all the anxieties I feel in dating will be gone. They don't go away. I hate to tell you right now, they do not go away, right? Yeah, you're committed, but now like the person who's committed to you, like you have to try and make them happy forever, <laughs> okay? Like that doesn't go away, right? Like, oh, that's so sweet. I, I, love the way, I love the way you just lied to our whole group of people. All right. Um, like the truth is, right, that uh, like marriage, even marriage can be distracting uh, to the goal of getting to that next age. Right. Think about this. Uh, marriage makes a man and a woman anxious about the things of the world, like pleasing one another. And that includes more than just like wooing them. I just made the inference that like, you know, trying to like win somebody over, but it's also all the other stuff that comes with that, right? It's uh, putting a roof over the other person's head, making sure that they're fed, like making sure that uh, they have their basic needs, 
being a helper, running errands, cooking, cleaning, uh, one day picking up kids from daycare, running them to soccer, getting them to school, getting their, you know, making sure that the diapers are, you know, all clean and, you know, washed and whatever, because we're going to buy cloth diapers for some reason. I um, love you. Right? So, right? This is what I'm talking about. And now I'm going to have to pay for that later. Um, Singleness, right? What I'm saying is that singleness uh, avoids having to deal with those same complexities. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, Paul says this in verses 32 through 33. You're not thinking about how to serve the Lord when you're busy with all that other stuff, right? Not thinking about, you're not thinking about the widow and the orphan and the other people God calls us to love because you're too busy trying to love your spouse. It's not a bad thing. It's just a divided thing, right? And, And Paul would spare us that. God would spare us that. Singleness is a gift because it allows you to focus on what really matters. Singleness avoids all those complexities of trying to meet someone else's relational needs and that God says that allows you, that it frees you up to love him. Right? Uh, when I made that, this point to Maddie, when I told her that I was going to tell you guys that singleness is better than marriage, uh, I'm going to tell on you, Maddie. I told her that I'd tell, her, tell you guys this. Uh, she smiled and she, just said, she said to me, and I, this is a direct quote, well, being married to you, I certainly can't argue with that. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what she said. Well, you know, I'm married to you. Can't argue with that. Uh, right? The point there being, uh, I've been telling her that there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of uh, obligations that come with being married to someone. Right? Um, tonight, Maddie had to drop me off on her way to, like, uh, go to a concert for a girl that she's mentoring at Christ Church. Right? She has to think about, like, how do I navigate my obligations to my husband and also love people in this world? And the truth is, if you're single, you don't have to do that. You just think about how you can love people and get them into that next era of you, that next age. So what is singleness for? Well, it's not just a gift. It's the gift of preparing oneself and others without distraction for being with Jesus forever. That's what it is. That's what singleness is for. It's not, just, it's not just any old gift. It is the gift of preparing oneself and others without distraction for being with Jesus forever. Like that's what singleness, that's the gift it gives you. And that may not sound like much. I understand that like for some of you guys, you're like, yeah, but like the sex though. And then for some other people, they're like, yeah, but like somebody to cuddle with every night. And just saying, like, I don't, I don't know what it is for you that says like, yeah, but, uh, I would say that you're, you're still not totally grasping like what a gift that really is. Um, Ezra, you pull up Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, or actually, Cam, sorry, you're doing it now. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. I want us to pay particular attention to verse 7. Uh, after Paul details how God has mercifully made us alive, by Jesus' death, right? He unpacks the gospel in verses four through six. He says, God makes us alive by Jesus' death on the cross. We were dead in our sin. He raises us to life, raises us up with him in his resurrection to forever dwell with him. In verse seven, he tells us why God, God does this. Why did God do all that for us? God did all that so that in the coming ages, for all eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, think about that for a second. We will spend eternity being shown God's grace in kindness. Uh, that 
that phrase, God's grace and kindness, that like seems kind of weird. It's like, what does it mean to be grace and kindness? Uh, the word grace like means it's a gift, right? That God uh, loves us despite our sin, but the, the grace in kindness throws it off. Um, and Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says it like this. What, me, what this means is that uh, grace and kindness is a desire to do what is in your power to prevent discomfort in another. Right? It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 11 to describe his yoke, that it's easy, it's kind. It's, it's a non-yoke. His kindness implies uh, sweetness and candidness, friendliness and hardiness, all goodness uh, with his whole heart. In other words, all the things that you've ever longed for on this earth, somebody who will always affirm you, who will always love you, who will always care for you, who will always uh, appreciate you, accept you, like the things that you long for in other people, the things you long for in relationships, the things you long for, like he's saying, that is what you are going to get for eternity. And Paul says, I'm going to speed that up. If you're single, you can have that now, undivided. That is a gift. It may not feel like a gift, may not seem like a gift, but if we understand what, that, what we are headed towards, that all our desires are met in Christ, and you get an opportunity to see that in this life, like it is a gift to be single rather than to be married. Um, one way to say it like this is we spend eternity knowing that that thing we've done that sent our life into meltdown, like that is exactly where God in Christ becomes more real to us than ever. We spend eternity thinking that the th- very thing that can keep us out of God's love actually invites us in. That it's his grace and his kindness that we experience forever. And that, it, and that as Paul says, it's immeasurable. Meaning that however much you think you can sin, however much you think you can't earn it, God actually like way more and abundantly covers that in grace and in kindness. That you can't out God's grace. And that in heaven, all of that actually endears you to him, that you actually recognize, oh, all the sin that I committed, God loves me despite all that. The cross gets even bigger. God's love seems even longer and and wider and deeper than it was before. And what Paul's inviting us into by singleness is that you have that gift now. That while you're single, you get to enjoy that completely unfettered by other distractions that are going to pull you away from having that and sharing that with other people. Now that is a gift you won't just call a pair of mittens and dump into a pool. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for...